Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I want to thank my listeners, as I do every time, because without you, there would be no show. Uh, and I'm so grateful for everybody out there who writes in and uh, inquires about our authors. And today, did joining me from, are you in San Francisco, San Ramon? Where are you, Phyllis? I'm actually in San Ramon. That's my home. That's okay. where I am today. All right. So she's in San Ramon. She's going to be speaking with us about her new book called The Energy of Abundance, Practical Advice and Spiritual Wisdom to Achieve Anything You Want in Life. Well, good day to you, Phyllis, and I appreciate having you on the show and spending a little bit of time with our listeners really discussing this energy of abundance. Uh, it is certainly something that I know all of my listeners are interested in, and I'm going to let them know a tad bit about you, Phyllis. Uh, Phyllis Thank King you. is the founder of the King Mastery Institute. She's mentored tens of thousands of people in 20 different countries, uh, an intuitive coach, speaker, and radio host. She is known for a practical and down-to-earth approach, using humor and compassion to deliver her message. Phyllis has been featured on CBS and NBC TV and on radio programs across the country, been published in more than 70 print and online publications, and she holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in sociology, and as we said, she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Well, Phyllis, a, a very, very good book, well-written book, and a book that I think uh, our listeners could very much get into. And, you know, <clears throat> you talk about your psychic experiences at a young age, and somebody asked you, you said it was kind of 19, 20 years old, but really at five or six years old, uh, you were doing some remote viewing and out-of-body experiences. So from a psychic standpoint, I have a question. You mentioned that you weren't really a student of science, but that the quantum physics really validated um, what you did as a, as a psychic. That the energy game, which is what this book is about, is a way to influence matter, both tangible and intangible. Can you share with the listeners how they can tap into this universal energy and live these lives of complete abundance? I can't. I want to. Yes, my goodness, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me in that incredible introduction. I appreciate that. Um, and of course, from the psychic me, the part of me that experiences the intangible and has uh, organically from a young age, everything moves around. Everything has always been fluid. I've never seen every anything as a fixed object. Everything has always been fluid. And as I evolved into the role I am now, trying to understand it more fully and then explain it to others, I developed this term I call the energy game. And essentially, we've heard it in different formats from different teachers and, you know, people around the planet. But it's creating the energy, the feelings, essentially, that you wish to experience and Embodying those in your personal universe. So, an example, if you want to have a new relationship, let's just start with that. And rather than saying, I want person that has this appearance, 
this income lives in this geographic region. What I actually want is to feel treasured and adored. What I actually want is someone who has compatible values. I want someone that we laugh and, and you think about those feelings and you generate those feelings in your own, you know, it's feelings first. You know, I liken it to the drag race uh, analogy, you know, those drag race cars with those long skinny noses and they have those big wheels and they're at the starting line and those wheels go round and round and round revving up for the car to shoot out when they lift the flag and there's smoke coming out. We're generating that type of energy in our own space by declaring it is so. It is so that this is promised to me that I can have this and this is how it how it is going to show up for me. And that essentially is what I call intention, that we have generated these feelings and set them as a marker in our energy so that consciousness can arrange around it. And consciousness will, because everything is promised. That's one aspect of the energy game, that you generate the feelings you wish to experience. It doesn't matter what it is, but you focus on the feeling, not the specific detail. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't do that in a different way, but that's the essence of it. And well, then there's another uh, element. Do you want me to go on or pause? Well, no, what I'm going to say is that, you know, th it, it, our listeners out there who are listening to this really, it, there's, a, there's a major shift there of what you're saying. Um, you know, you uh, the, the laws of attraction, abundance that people have talked about for years, we've, we've heard the secret, you know, your shift here is really in the focus on the feelings uh, of what it is that you want, which is truly a differentiator. Um, I, I, you know, I think that people that write their goal and say, oh, you know, I want a, a man or a woman that's this way, or I want them to have this kind of income, like you were saying, uh, is truly, the universe is not going to attract that. Um, so I think your differentiator is, is great, and I just want to thank you for bringing thank that up. So are there other thank factors you. that you want to include in this as well? Well, there's other ways when I talk about the energy game, I use this term called uh, inserting frequencies medicinally because as everything is energy, it's on a spectrum. You know, on one side of the spectrum, you have apathy, boredom, and depression. On the other side of the spectrum, you're going to have enthusiasm and joy and, uh, and generosity. And now apathy and boredom, for instance, are dense, thick, slow-moving frequencies. That's the texture of them. And then when you get to generosity and enthusiasm and happiness, those are faster-moving frequencies, a lot of space in there. You can create from whatever side you want, from wherever you want. We're, we're doing it all the time. But if, say, you're having a, a specific challenge, it's a little bit of the same way of generating feelings, but you insert the frequency that you want uh, not that you want, but you insert a high vibration frequency just to dissipate the concentration of low vibration frequencies you have in your world. So mm -hmm. I, I use the analogy in the book, if you have a headache, you take an Excedrin, or that's me. Um, however, if you're having a rough life, if your heart is hurting, if your money space is, is terrible, if you just got fired from your job, whatever your moment is, just take a couple of minutes to crack up at yourself to find some way 
to put something high vibration in there and not telling you to not have your experience and see that, yes, that really hurt that someone dumped me or that I got fired from my job, but rather, oh, look at that scowl on my face or look how my hair is messed up or find some reason to crack up at yourself or put some high vibration frequency in there and you're going to help yourself. You're going to dissipate that momentum and that pattern you're on much more quickly. So that's also part of the energy game. Yeah, and, 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 and you, use, it, yeah. you use laughter. I mean, you've been known, as this says in your bio here, you know, you're the comedian psychic. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you're telling people kind of to actually move to this alternative space, which I think is great. One of the ways you articulate this, uh, Phyllis, is you tell a great story in your book about Cassandra. She's one of your clients. You mentioned that she was working from a consciousness that I have to control everything. You mentioned that that your job was to help her see how this consciousness of control and scarcity was creating power struggles in her life. I thought it was a great story. Can you relay the story and how helping her with this energy game uh, got her to shift and see life in a completely new perspective with more abundance in every area of her life? Well, and I will say with every client, um, I can't always use the terminology of the energy game. I might bring it up in some way. Not every client is spiritually based or able to grasp it in that way. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's step by step. It's inch by inch. Because you know, with Cassandra, she was so used to being in charge and so used to just having things go a certain way. She really ran what I call male energy, make it happen, resolve it, be in charge of it. And she didn't have a different approach or a different idea for how to resolve something that was coming at her. And then also she wasn't able to recognize how uh, this problem with this uh, contractor on her site was triggering pastime feelings in her. So for her, it was really being connected to her own process, being engaged with it, and then deciding to take charge of it in in a positive way. So would Cassandra say she's playing the energy game? Um, maybe at this point, because we still continue to work to each, with each other on and off. But it's really that inch by inch staying connected to each moment and going, ah, I, I really don't want to feel this way, and I'm going to choose to feel a different way. And I'm in charge of that. No, mm-hmm. no one is making me do anything. So that was... That was sort of the nuts and bolts of Cassandra's story. Mm-hmm. So I, I love this thing that you, you talk about, and it, it's so true that there's two common mistakes that most people make as it relates to outcomes. One is giving up on what they want and then being attached uh, to the outcome, which is it's quite a Buddhist concept, actually. Um, yeah. Will you share with us how utilizing your energy game can shift our perspectives as listeners and make life so much more fun and fulfilling if we were just to look at these two common mistakes and how we might shift that perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a joke that the one surefire way that I'm not going to get what I want is to attach to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, and I've done that many times over the course of my life and it trained me well to stop attaching. Um, so, and the idea in detachment is that, you know, gosh, you, you can't be connected to something in the future. 
that the whole premise of creating your future reality is being present in the now moment. How can I make this moment delicious? And if I make this moment delicious and loving and abundant, then the future will take care of itself. So again, Mm -hmm. it goes back to where am I in this present moment? I mean, and it's such a dichotomy for me as a psychic who makes predictions for people all the time. I'm always telling them to be in the present moment, but I'm giving them the viewpoint of the future. Of the future, yeah. Yeah. The possibility. Well, the thing is, when you really look look at quantum physics, and if you understand like you do and believe in it, it, all of this is happening at the same time, and everybody is psychic. So there is this whole space-time continuum element, which you didn't get too much into in the book. But no matter what you're telling them, it is all happening at the same time. Yes. And that's a hard one. That's a hard one for people to get, Phyllis. (laughs) Well, and I would say that... At the, at the basis of that, it, we start to get into what's your spiritual viewpoint. Who do you think you are? How do you think or believe life works? Does, is everything outside of you or is everything inside of you? What happens when you leave this body? Is, is there death? Is there not death? It, it starts to get into your broader viewpoint of what's going on uh, universally. And many people don't want to look at those questions. They're too big. They're too far-reaching, and they don't think they can access any information that will resonate or feel true to them. And that's really just a point of view from my, from my perspective that says, I'm scared, I can't do it. You know, so that once we begin to address the spiritual point of view and we, and we get, and of course this is my point of view, I, I'm not. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And well, it's, these experiences are for learning. Yeah, and, and it's life. always your point of view. And and on this topic of death, you know, you tell a great story in your book about Gary and yeah. the profound impact his death had on your life. Obviously, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, you need to explain this story because the the most important thing is that. Your experience there with Gary coming to the door and coming back um, after you've kind of snuffed this guy, your ego was so crazy, um, (laughs) and the lessons that he taught you when coming back. So explain to our listeners, because this is a good juncture point for going a little deeper into this whole concept of death. Yeah. Thank you. Well... I'd I'd had many experiences with the intangible becoming tangible before Gary showed up when I was 19, but I just tucked them away. Nothing really caught my attention. But when this friend of mine, who wasn't even my close close circle of friends, um, he kind of had a little bit of a crush on me, and I I would say I used him a bit because he let me, and um, I didn't think anything of that, of taking advantage of someone in that way and their kindness. Um, And so that's the ego part that had stayed with me. But he died in a car accident. He showed up in my house three months after he had passed, and he looked like a person. And it was terrifying in the moment. I was, my heart was pounding, my adrenaline was racing, and it was scary, scary. But at the same moment, an awareness was placed in my, my mind at that time that life didn't end with the body. And it was more than a thought. I had it in my body, head to toe. Uh, and and there was a piece that came with that was oh I don't have to take life so seriously, 
and uh, and it really catapulted me into this life because I knew I, I didn't want to have these things happen to me anymore. I wanted to be in front of it and say, what is this? What does this mean about me? What does this mean about God? What does this mean about the universe? And and then ultimately, what am I going to do with it moving forward? But that gave me my core idea that life didn't end with the body. And I would say at this point in my life, one of my dearest friends is near-death experience expert Daniel Brinkley, who is, has some of the most profound near-death experiences yeah. on record. And I, even though mine, my experience is minuscule in comparison to his, I really relate to those people who have that awareness about unending life. And they make me feel like me. And I go, yes, we're speaking the same language. So in terms of there's more to life than the body, that was the beginning. And most of my really profound and intense experiences that followed in my 20s, which aren't in the book, this particular book, even though they were incredible, what's always stuck with me is that the life doesn't end with the body. And Mm -hmm. that's been the awareness. Well, and that is a a spiritual awareness and epiphany that you had as a result of Gary coming back. Obviously, that made a strong impact on shifting uh, your beliefs about what happens after death. So, you know, the other thing that I think is really important here is you talked about the tangible and the intangible. But you asked this question, why does mainstream culture reject the potency of intangible realities? And and I say to you, why do you believe that we have a meme that many have been programmed with and believe that this is so? That's the question. Where does that come from, Phyllis, in your estimation? Did you say, I, I didn't hear one word of your question. Meme. You said about me. A meme. A meme, oh, a belief, yes. uh, you know, that we're pre-programmed for this, you know, not believing mm-hmm. in these intangible realities. Mm-hmm. Well, in the human body, we have to survive. And I think survival is the dominant instinct. And it says... You know, I need to feed myself, I need to be safe, we have the fight-or-flight mechanism, and that is part of the human experience. However, uh, and, and the journey in the human experience is to come back to that original point of wholeness that we came to the planet with or came into this our incarnation with. And experiences are mechanisms for growth, that consciousness itself is always expanding and the way consciousness expands is through the individual expanding itself. And the only way we do expand is through overcoming complexity and overcoming challenge so that we understand we're divine creative beings. And so the journey, the challenge, is to find our way back to that awareness of who we are, not take the physical experiences as the ultimate reality, but rather mechanisms for growth, really only to teach us how that we are godlike, that we mm-hmm. are powerful, and that we can create and overcome just about anything. And so we're programmed, in, in a sense, in the physical body to be really present, to be present and grounded in culture and in life so that we can have the experiences. It just most of us, and mainstream culture promotes that, is it, it takes us away from the other reality that we're still a spiritual being. And we try all kinds of different things to, uh, to keep filling up and to stimulate and to define ourselves. 
and then they just don't really work. And so we, we get on this hamster wheel, if you will. But, you know, it's just part of the game. It's the dance of duality on the planet, and that's what we're here to master. Well, like they say, you can't have black without white. You can't have good without bad. That is the duality, and that is the balance that everybody is attempting to achieve is this uh, balancing life between both their spiritual uh, and their, you know, outside egoistic world that they live in. Now, you mentioned in your chapter on time that it's important to honor our natural rhythms in the abundance equation. And I thought that that was really interesting because, you know, obviously when you get into quantum physics, you're getting into this whole concept of time. How does honoring this help us to create more abundance in our lives in every way, this, this whole uh, natural rhythm that you're talking about? Because everyone is on their own unique path, and that tends to be forgotten because we're comparing to other people, culture, parents, friends, everyone is telling us who we need to be, why we need to be that, what's good, what's bad, what isn't. And we're losing, uh, uh, in mass quantity, we're losing our ability to understand our own rhythms. And if we can't hear our own rhythms, our own insight, our own process, we're not going to be able to connect to divine flow in in a substantial way. It'll be fragmented in some way. We have to know that our path is unique and it may not look like someone else. Our timing may not be like someone else. Uh, our good may not arrive the way someone else's does, that we have different agendas spiritually uh, on this planet. And if we cannot hear and stay connected to our own rhythms, then we impede our own ability to receive what is meant for us. And you, you see that in so many different ways in people who are in the wrong jobs or in the wrong marriages or living in the wrong countries, for goodness sakes, and uh, spend just decades of their life being uncomfortable and qualifying that and making reasons for why that's a good choice. Yeah, interesting that you that you bring that up, and it, it kind of goes along with this next question for you as well. Um, you talked about this creative process as an exchange process and collaboration, and that as we yeah. resonate frequencies into consciousness, consciousness responds perfectly. You yeah. mentioned that trust is the primary element in this exchange process. Um, if you would, speak with us about trust and this fine dance with our egos. <laughs> um, I liken trust um, as a relationship I have with any person. Um, I give this to you. You know, I say I'm going to show up to lunch at 1.30 next week, and I show up at lunch to 1.30, and I do this for the next three years, and you and I have an understanding, a trust is developed that that's what's going to happen. And we all have to develop that with consciousness, and it is unique. Each, each person's exchange process is a, is a bit unique because each of us are different. But once you understand your relationship and how to interact with consciousness, that when you put A in, you get B back, or when you put one in, you get two back, then you can uh, expand 
how how and what you ask for and what you want to receive in life. But you have to have that foundational tool and understand that life is working for you, that it's actually supporting you at all times and typically has a better idea what is best for you than you do. And, and that goes back to staying connected to the feelings as opposed to writing down a specific list, not that you can't do that, of what you want because the feelings will are such a better connector to fight to giving you fulfillment but essentially back to your you know to that first question it's just like establishing that relationship with consciousness some people and religions call it faith i'm you know i have a bit of faith because i have decades of experience practicing this exchange process i know that when i put a and b will come back to me but i also it, it started from a point of trust I trust it. So let me ask you this. Let me insert this because this is, it, it comes up frequently in this dance between trust and ego and not actually being able to be discerning. Um, and, and I think that is a, a high degree of tuning into our intuitive nature. Uh, you obviously as a psychic are extremely intuitive. You're using this all the time. What advice would you give our listeners as to the the way to develop an extremely strong intuitive element so that they can trust and that they become much more discerning in what they're listening to on the inner plane. Uh, you know, as people delve into that inner plane, there's messages that, as you just said, the dichotomy of the world is they're coming from both sides. Uh, the universal mind, and I do believe that there's a dark spot too, that uh, can take hold of people uh, and actually takes them down the wrong path. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's actually quite simple. The first part, it's practice. It's it's very it seems like so so simple. Like who 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 thought of that? Mm-hmm. It, it's really simple. You did. Just... <laughs> <laughs> you were the first, Phyllis, that thought of practice. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, we were supposed to put Five some levity in this. We're going to put some levity um, in this interview. We're going to say Phyllis was the first one that said you should practice this. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Just practice. I mean, this is what I even tell my psychic development students. You know, because they're so scared about being accurate or right. Just practice. Just try. I'm going to try this thing. I'm going to try on this concept. I'm going to try on listening. Or, you know, if, if it's intuition, it's like, oh, I'm going to see if I can sense what someone is feeling or, or predict an event. Just try it. And it's really just give yourself a trial period and, and, and see what start to understand your system how it works, how it interprets energy. Most of us just simply don't take the time to do it. Mm-hmm. We think it needs to happen in a different way, or you're just going to push a button and the information will come. But we're not robots. We're actually this organic, natural system, and we have to learn how our system works. And if we just give it a little time, it works. I can teach anybody how to psychic read in six weeks. But then it's the practice after that where you get your certainty and you start to understand how your intuitive process works. Well, if you were going to let our listeners know and to leave them with the last little bit of words of wisdom, um, first, Phyllis, where do you want to send them to learn more about 
Phyllis King, your uh, books. You've got many books out there. Uh, this isn't the only one. Uh, any lectures that you do uh, and the workshops and so on, where should they go? Thank you. Well, all roads lead to phyllisking.com, phyllisking.net. Okay. Uh, that, that, my website's typically updated, so you can find me there. And all my books are there, or Amazon or wherever. This book is in most of the bookstores, Energy of Abundance. Um, I am, and you're in Southern California, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to be in Irvine on sept, on the last weekend of of August, and then Venice at the last weekend of September. So for all my Southern California friends, I'm looking forward to that. That's appropriate, Venice. That's a good place. Yeah. <laughs> you got yes. lots of clients from Venice, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. And so we, it's uh, phyllisking.com or phyllisking.net. And Phyllis, it, it, you know, wrapping this up for our listeners, um, what takeaway, uh, one or two things, would you like to leave them with that they can start, as you say, practicing, um, that can make them more discerning, more intuitive, and tap in to this universal consciousness that responds to everything positively, given that that's the way they shift their perspective. Well, I would love for your listeners to try on my 10 minutes a day to change your life. And I actually learned this from my friend Wayne Dyer, who is amazing and incredible. But essentially, in the morning and at the night, five minutes, seems very benign. And we're talking 10 minutes, tops. You imagine those things you wish you had. Okay, you know, Lamborghini, you know, great relationship, 5,000 square foot home, whatever it is. And then, of course, you attach to it the feelings you wish you had. And then you bathe in those frequencies like a shower pouring down on you, just like you're showering in those frequencies. This is inserting high vibration frequencies. You do that twice a day. And I promise you, within three to four days, you are going to start to see things happen out of the blue and that are benevolent and abundant for you, and you're going to hit yourself on the head and go, was that that thing I just did? That was only 10 minutes. And if that doesn't convince you that the energy game is real and that you can change your reality, I don't think anything else will. But I've had people who've tried that after 30 years of depression. I think I wrote about it in the book. And it was a habit, and she tried that 10 minutes a day for two days, and she felt happiness for the first time in 30 years. So I'm I'm encouraging your listeners to try that because that is easy, benign, and it works. Wonderful advice and a a great thing. Ten minutes a day, five minutes in the morning, five minutes at night. And like you said, you might have something come out of the blue or it could come out of green or purple or somewhere else. But (laughs) you're going to – what she's saying is, you know, the vibration will shift. And you will attract into your life these things. Phyllis, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth. For my listeners, the book is The Energy of Abundance, uh, Practical Advice and Spiritual Wisdom to Achieve Anything You Want in Life. We've been on with Phyllis King uh, from San Ramon, California. Highly recommend you go out and get the book. There's plenty of wisdom inside the book. And as I say to my listeners... It's not about the text in the book, as Phyllis so aptly put. It's about the practice of what you read. Uh, Go out and practice these ideas and put them to work. Thanks, Phyllis. Thanks for being on. Thank you, Greg, so much for having me. It's been wonderful. (laughs) 